Thank you so much. I do have a terrible view up my front window as I look across the Northumberland Strait and look at the beautiful island of Prince Edward Island. That's where I get to spend my time. Part of the time, then the winter months, I spend it in Canada's 11th province. Most people call it the state of Florida. Uh, but uh, it's almost all Canadians in the winter. Uh, and so then I fly back and forth from there. But uh, thank you so much. What a privilege to be here once again. Uh, it's been a number of years. Uh, you know, we sort of divide everything now by post-pandemic or pre-pandemic. Uh, and so it was pre-pandemic last time I was here and had a wonderful time of uh, fellowship and ministry. And it's good to be back and to enjoy fellowship with folks once again. At Strategic Renewal as a ministry exists to ignite the heart of the church to seek the face of God by coaching its leaders. And so that's what we do. So uh, you know, I retired from pastoral ministry to launch this ministry so I could encourage people. Uh, and the Lord has been so good to me, and I'm so very, very grateful for the privilege of doing that. And I do most of my coaching is online, uh, so we do that virtually. So as long as you have a good Internet connection, you can do that from anywhere. Uh, and so why would anybody choose to stay in minus 40 uh, unless you know they had to? Uh, and so that's sort of my heart. I, I never liked winter, not ever in my life, not as a child, uh, and yet I loved my time in Fort McMurray uh, when the Lord called us there as a family many years ago, and I was still amazed, but I hated winter, but, but God was good. Uh, so I'll take plus 20 in northwest Florida over minus 20 uh, in New Brunswick any day of the week. Anyways, that's enough of the advertisement. If you're interested in finding out some more about what we do as a ministry, you can check out our website, strategicrenewal.ca. You can email me, and I'll be glad to send you some information. I will leave a couple of brochures, Pastor Aaron. I forgot to bring them with me. They're at Norman's house. Um, uh, it's a, a couple of brochures about some of the things we do. Uh, but it's a thrill for me to share with you this morning from God's Word. If you have your copy of the Scriptures, you can turn with me to 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14. This is a verse of Scripture I have preached on multiple times over my years of ministry, uh, almost 44 years now uh, of ministry. And the outline has changed, it gets adapted, it's growing. I think when I started preaching on this text, I had three points. Today I have six, um, or I'm planning on six. We might have seven by the time we're done, who knows. Uh, but it's just an amazing statement that the Scriptures give to us. As you've been praying for revival, have you been searching for revival? What is that and what does it look like? And, well, this verse is probably considered one of the greatest revival verses of the Bible. Uh, it's written by the prophet Ezra somewhere around the year 450 B.C. First and Second Chronicles were one book initially, divided into two books around 180 B.C. But it's a time in Israel's history where they were doing what many of us do as God's people. They were in and out of obedience. They were in and out of sin. They were in and out of doing what God wanted them to do and then doing it their own way. I don't know about you, but that's been a struggle in my life on occasions, knowing what God wanted me to do and then wanting to do it my way instead of his way. And so that's what this is all about this morning. Look at the verse. Depending on what translation you have, it starts either with the word and or the word if. Uh, and so if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. 
If there was ever a time in our nation that we needed healing, it's now. So here's the most political thing I'll say today, vote. But if you think voting is going to change things, give your head a shake. Because only God can change things. The difference between our governments at this point in time, and it doesn't matter what stripe it is, is whether or not life will be a little bit easier or a little bit more difficult for the church. That's it. Overall, our nation is anti-Christian. Just two weeks ago in the city of Calgary, a young man kicked out of school for wearing a t-shirt that said there are only two genders, later got himself arrested standing on the sidewalk outside of his high school offering free Bibles to people. I never dreamed I would live to be old enough to see that happen in Canada. I've seen that happen in other nations of the world where I've had the privilege of preaching and teaching, but I never dreamed it would happen here. I was thrilled that the next day he actually got, Lord, later that day was actually released, and those that were harassing him were actually arrested. But in this nation, to be put in handcuffs and thrown in the backseat of a cruiser for offering Bibles? Not forcing Bibles, offering Bibles. And yet most of the church remains strangely silent. We are in great need. So what is revival? J.I. Packer puts it this way. Revival is the visitation of God which brings life, which brings to life Christians who have been sleeping and restores a deep sense of God's near presence and holiness. See, the problem with the church in our nation today is that we have watered down the truth so far that we accept anything and everything instead of standing on God's word. And God's message is difficult. There's no doubt about it. But we can't lower things down to the smallest common denominator. We need to keep raising the standard that God has put forth. And that is that we, the church of Jesus Christ, are to be holy because he is holy. And so Ezra, writing under the direction of the Spirit of God, says, if my people, so let's start there, if my people, the ones who are called by my name, the ones who claim to know me, so we begin with personal examination. It's too easy for us to look at other people today. It's so much easier to judge other people's walk of faith, isn't it? I mean, you can, you can think of someone right now, but if they would only, you can fill in the blank. But no, that's not the key to revival. The key to revival is not looking at other people saying, oh, if they would just you know, pull their socks up a little bit and get better at this. No. It wouldn't be if they would just do more devotions or pray more. No. If my people who are called by my name, it's a time of personal examination, a time when I look at my own life. See, the person who gives me the most trouble is the guy I look at in the mirror every morning. It's personal examination. So do I know him or do I just know about him? See, there's a difference about knowing somebody and knowing about somebody. I can name all sorts of facts and statistics about different people that I've read about, I've studied about, but I've never met them. I don't know them. But then there's other people I know, and I know them well. Do I know Jesus Christ as my own personal Lord and Savior? See, it was in the book of Acts, chapter 11, verse 26, is the first time that the people of God were called Christians. 
as followers of Christ. It was not designed to be a compliment. It was an insult to them. Oh, you're one of those, one of those Christ followers. You see, we want everybody to like us. Well, you should like me because I'm a Christian. No, that's why they should hate you. Now, not because you're an obnoxious Christian. I mean, God's told us that we are a peculiar people. That doesn't mean we're outright weird. You know, we're to be a holy people who love him, and they hate what we stand for, but not how we stand for. So if my people, the ones who are called by my name, if that group of people, so do you know him today? Have you entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ as your own personal Lord and Savior? Have you recognized that apart from him you are nothing, you are lost and condemned already, the Bible says? Well, if you've entered into that relationship, it's personal. You can't do it for anybody else. You can't save anybody else. That's God's job. And so if we're going to experience a revival in the verse that we've got on the wall this morning, it's because we, the people of God, start looking at our own lives in a time of personal examination. What is it that we've accepted that God doesn't? How is it that we're living that God wants us to live a different way? And remember, not all of the things that he would point out in our lives are necessarily sinful things. They're just things that get in the way of us being who he's called us to be. So if my people would humble themselves, personal examination. Number two is practical humiliation, to humble themselves. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 6 Tells us to be humble before the Lord. In fact, let's just read that verse so you see it. It says, Therefore, humble yourself under the hand, mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time. So humble yourself, therefore, it's this lowliness of mind to humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time, which is a future event. God will lift us up as we are humbled before him. Now, being humble before the Lord doesn't mean that we're necessarily always walking around, looking at the floor, kicking the dirt, saying, woe is me, I'm the worst guy on planet Earth. It's really the recognition that if anything of eternal value is going to be accomplished in my life, it's because I'm dependent upon the power and the presence of God. I mean, I've had the privilege of speaking in some amazing places around the world. Not once did I ever assume that I was the best guy in the room for the job. But I was thankful that God gave me the job. And so you take it and you accept it and you do what God's called you to do. And you do it with joy but with dependence upon Him. So we need to be a humble people. But we recognize that apart from God, we are nothing. Nothing of eternal value. You see, the, one of the problems with a lot of churches today is we've got great business plans. Now, I'm all for great business plans. I believe in leadership, I believe in good strategies, I believe in fiscal responsibility, I believe in generosity. But if all we're doing is running a good business, we will fail at our task. Our task is to go into the world and make disciples. We can't do that and be cheap at the same time. We can't do that if all we've got is a good strategy. We've got to be dependent upon the power of God. And so we've got to humble ourselves before Him. What is it in your life today that the Spirit of the living God would put his little finger on and say, it's this thing right here. That's what's getting in the way. 
surrender it to me today. If my people, personal examination, would humble themselves, practical humiliation, and pray, purposeful intercession, and pray. See, we talk more about prayer than we actually pray. That's why churches don't have prayer meetings anymore. That's why when we invite people to come for prayer, they don't come. Let's be honest. Prayer meetings many, many times have been dry, dusty, boring. They've been everything you... Why would you want to go to that? It's a marathon, a misery. Instead of something that's exciting and dynamic and enjoyable. That's one of the reasons why we teach a worship-based prayer model, not a request-based model. See, I grew up in a church that had a request-based model. I went to prayer meeting as a teenager. I was the only teenager in our church that went to prayer meeting. But I was there with all the old folks. I mean, now that I'm one of them, I think I can say that. You know, I was there with all the old folks, and we sang three hymns, and the pastor had a 30-minute Bible study. We took 20 minutes worth of prayer requests, and then our time is done. So, oh, Brother Dave, would you close in prayer? And that was prayer meeting. That wasn't prayer meeting. That was a Bible study with a 20-minute gossip session. Because that's what most prayer requests are. I don't need all the details of your request to pray for your request. And so the model of prayer, which Jesus gave to us as a command, not as something to repeat, says pray this way, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Worship him. Just worship him. And so it's purposeful intercession. We pray and we pray and we pray, but our rugged independence of our North American Western culture is that I do that alone. But everywhere in the New Testament, you'll see that we do it together. We do it in community because you and I have been designed for community. I mean, even the greatest introvert in this room today needs people. We need one another. And when I pray with people, I get to hear their heart in a way that I'll never get to know when I just talk with them or study with them. And so if my people, personal examination, would humble themselves, practical humiliation, and pray, purposeful intercession, we're not just asking for, Lord, please bless this person, bless that person, do this. No, what is it we really look for God to do? I remember a day on pastoral visitation walking into a hospital room. Lovely old saint. She'd been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer just and heard that message just moments before I walked through the door. And I looked at this dear lady and I said to her, what did the doctor just say? Because I met him coming out and he said, I've got pancreatic cancer. I don't have very long to live. Her name was Evelyn. I said, Evelyn, how would you like me to pray? She said, Pastor, the church has been in debt the entire time I've been saved. I came to Christ in that church. This was the church in New Brunswick that I had pastored. Um, the church I didn't want to pastor. But anyways, that's another story. Uh, every pastor's got one of those stories. I didn't want to go there. God took me there kicking and screaming. Uh, I knew the church. I didn't want to be their pastor. I did everything to get them to vote no. They still voted yes. I mean, there are things you can try, right? I mean... Then it would be their issue, not mine. Um, anyways, I'm there. I'm their pastor. The church has been in debt for like 30 years, still had a million dollars worth of debt when I became their pastor, uh, and we were starting a campaign to eliminate that, uh, to which everybody in the church said, can't be done. 
And I said, God is bigger than us. She looked at me and said, Pastor, I'd like to see the ch- I'd like to live just long enough to see the church out of debt. So I got down on my knees in her hospital room and I prayed that God would preserve her long enough to see the church come out of debt. Most people looked at me and said, You're nuts. I'm not going to debate that point. I think that's probably true. <laughs> Eleven months later, we paid off the debt, burnt the mortgage, had a cake cutting at the end because I love dessert. And this lady, Evelyn, cut the cake. She went to be with the Lord that week. She lived long enough. How do we pray? Do we trust God for the big things? Purposeful intercession. But then notice it goes on and says, and seek my face. So that's a perpetual determination. Seeking the face is not simply prayer. We just talked about the intercession piece. This is an add-on to that. So it takes us deeper. It's, it's an act of devotion. Jonathan Edwards, the great revivalist, wrote a book years ago. And this was the title of his book. Now, I want you to catch that. This was the title of his book. A humble attempt to promote explicit agreement and visible union of God's people in extraordinary prayer for the revival of the church and the advancement of Christ's kingdom on earth. I mean, his title says more than most books do today. But he called on people on both sides of the Atlantic to be united in prayer to seek the face of God and to move beyond that. See, Pastor Jim Simbola from the Brooklyn Tabernacle said, If all I seek is God's hand, what he can do for me, I will miss his face. But if I see his face, he'll gladly open his hand. And so it's it's an act of devotion to seek his face, to be so committed to, to look in his eyes. As the hymn writer said, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, so that the things of this world would grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Oh, how we need to seek his face. Look him in the eye. Not just what he can do for us, but as the object of our affection. The way we should look at one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. The way we should look at the people that we say we love the most on planet earth. To apply that to our heavenly father. It's to seek his face. It's, it's a determination that every day I'm going to do this. I, I, there's a gentleman that pastors in the, in the state of Texas. His name is D. Duke. Uh, D. does this thing on habits of an early morning. And he's one, I use his video as part of my coaching. But he talks about these commitments he makes every single morning before he even gets out of bed. And he's done it for over 30 years now. The only thing I've done consistently for 30 years, first thing in the morning, is get up and have breakfast. But it's that daily commitment of today's, I'm going to be attacked by the enemy of my soul. And so if I don't start it with commitment, that I am going to love those that are difficult to love. I'm going to love those that are easy to love. I'm going to love you, Lord, and I'm going to walk with you. It's a determination to seek his face. But it goes beyond that. Notice. If my people, 
the ones who are called by my name, would humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. It's a powerful transformation. It's transformation. We shouldn't be the same. You see, if we really have entered into relationship with Jesus Christ, if we've come to the point of repentance, see, confession is easy. Confession, you got your hand caught. You're, you're in the cookie jar. Did you take that? No, I didn't take it, and the cookie crumbs are falling out of your mouth. You know, you know I think of a pastor friend of mine years ago who was in a difficult little church, and his wife had made some brownies for their deacons meeting that night, and uh, he said, what are you doing? She said, well, I'm going to serve them to the deacons. He said, these men don't even care about us. We're starving to death. You're not going to serve these to the deacons. And she left the room for a minute. He bit the corner off a of heavy brownie. You know, that's what he did. She just cut them, made them a little smaller. You know, <laughs> repentance means I'm not going to do that. Repentance is a military term, which means it's a new direction. See, confession is, yeah, I got caught. Yes, I'm guilty. I know I'm guilty. But do I keep doing it? Or is there change? Repentance is change. So it's a powerful transformation. We're not the same anymore. When I went to the church that I didn't want to be the pastor of, you know, and they agreed to all these things that I would do when I first got there because I didn't want to go there, so I added all these things up. When I got there, they looked at me and said, oh, pastor, we, we meant to tell you. No, they didn't. <laughs> Search committees lie through their teeth. <laughs> we meant to tell you that our school principal, because we had our own school, had been caught in adultery. Wonderful. Now you have to deal with that. Now their definition of you deal with that was get rid of her. That's not my definition of church discipline. The second month I was there, we had a student kicked out of Word of Life in Scroon Lake, New York for homosexual activity. Pastor, you need to deal with him. You, you need to get rid of him. The third month, I had the happiest Joseph you've ever seen in a Christmas play because he was snorting cocaine in the men's room. Pastor, you got to get rid of them. That's how the church I didn't want to pastor started. Who in their right mind wants to stay to month number four? I met with the principal and her husband, and we worked through a bunch of issues, and here we are all these years later, and they're happy and healthy and walking in there with the Lord. The young fellow kicked out of Scroon Lake said to me, do you really mean I can come to church? Yeah, you can come to church. Pastor, no one will sit with me. I said, I will. That was still in the day when the pastor sat up on the platform. I said, I'll come off the platform and sit with you if you'll come to church. Today he's married, serves the Lord in the local church. He's a firefighter. He's got a couple of kids. The happy Joseph. Today is the pastor of a church. It's growing and thriving. See, repentance means it's a powerful transformation. They're changed. Now, will there be temptation towards those alleys? Of course there will. But you build safeguards and fences around yourself, and you build in accountability groups and people that love and trust you and that you trust them. See, because we'll be together 
much better than we will be apart. So if my people, the ones who are called by my name, would humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, may I suggest to you that the church in Canada needs to turn from its wicked ways. Sin is in the camp, and we've accepted it. The evangelical church in Canada is 30% smaller today than it was a decade ago. The vast majority of God's people in this country are my age and up. Now, some of you are here, because some of you were here when the church was birthed. You know. uh, it's getting older. We have failed miserably at handing faith on to the next generation. But it's not too late. But the key to reaching young people today is absolute authenticity. Don't walk into church and paste a smile on your face because you're at church if life has fallen apart at home. Come in here and confess it and have the church family gather around you and pray for you. That's where we need to be. We need to reject the sin that's invaded our lives and experience the power of the resurrected Christ to change that. It's a powerful transformation. And then notice the promised expectation. Then, then, I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. See, we want our land healed, but we don't want all the price tag that goes with that. That's why we think we can vote our way into a changed nation. We're not going to do that. We're going to change the nation by having the church change and be what we've been called to be, salt and light. When I pastored in Fort McMurray, people would say to me, how do you stand it up there? The city is so evil. Now, I never really saw it as that evil myself in some ways, but you know what I kept, my answer was always this, the darker the night, the brighter the light. The opportunities the Lord gave us there were absolutely amazing. It's one of the highlights of my pastoral career. That's the church I didn't want to leave to go to the church I didn't want to go. I mean, I fought with the Lord for months on that. But where sin abounds, grace so much more. So to learn to love, so we want our land healed, but we need to pay the price. And that price tag is holy living. That price tag is surrender to God's plan, not our plan. It's to do things His way, not our way. If we really want to see that change, then we need to put ourselves in the place where we can be blessed. See, that really, I think, is the key to this text. And that's why the ser I think the sermon title is in your bulletin. It might not be. I didn't see the bulletin. I saw the front cover of it. Pastor Aaron texted it to me. This verse is about putting yourself in a position where you're blessable, where you're blessable. If God wants to bless us, He wants to pour abundant blessing into our lives. He wants to give us more than we can dream or imagine. Now, the health, wealth, and prosperity guys will tell you that means money. That's not what it means. It means abundant life in Christ, John chapter 10, verse 10. And to live out of His abundance. But it means I need to surrender myself under his hand of leadership and authority and the truthfulness of his word. So if my people, do you know them today? 
Are you walking with him today? As best you can tell, everything's right in your relationship with him today. You've forsaken sin and walking on towards holiness. If my people would humble themselves, are we trusting him to do the work or are we thinking we can accomplish it through our efforts, our strength, our determination? If I can just get a little bit better at that, you know, like the little train that could. And that's sort of the definition of insanity, isn't it? Just keeping the doing the same thing over and over and over again, thinking we'll get a different result. If my people, the ones who know me, would humble themselves, trust him, depend upon him, walk when he tells us to walk, speak when he tells us to speak, be quiet when he tells us to be quiet, humble themselves and pray. To be men and women of prayer. Not to talk about it, but who pray. Honestly pray. There was a survey done amongst evangelical churches a number of years ago, and it showed that in the evangelical church, the average church service had three minutes worth of prayer. Invocation prayer, offertory prayer, pastoral prayer, benediction. Three minutes. Prayer has been reduced in our churches to how do we get people on and off the platform many times. Instead of seeking his face corporately. Because everything in the New Testament is about corporate. And seek my face to be devoted my, my wife and I have sung at all sorts of weddings over the years. And uh, one of the songs that we would do, especially uh, in unchurched circles, was a Carly Simon song called Devoted to You. But it talks about that kind of love where you're devoted to one another. It's for better or for worse. It's not just for the better part, is it? No, that's why 50% of marriages fail because it was just for the better part. But it's for the better or for the worse. Devoted. Are we devoted to Christ? Or do we just come to church on Sunday? And turn from their wicked ways. Let's forsake sin. Let's follow after Christ. Let's be the people he wants us to be. Let's be the agents of change that he's called us to be. We are to be disciple-making movements, not holy huddles that enjoy ourselves. I pastored one church, my youth pastor and I in the first couple of years had led about 100 people to Christ. It completely changed the face of the church. Uh, and then the nuclear bomb started going off uh, because the old guard of the church said, you know, the pastor can win every business meeting now because all the new people will vote with him. You know, I never did evangelism once in my life to win a business meeting. I think business meetings are one of the most ungodly things the church does, you know. And I don't see them anywhere in the New Testament. Now, let me tell you this. Pastor Aaron did not ask me to say anything. I heard the announcement that your annual general meeting is coming up. You know, best thing you could do is change that. You get rid of it altogether. Let the elders do the stuff, you know. But anyways, now you're thinking, well, he's not really a Baptist. Well, I'm probably not. Um, that's my label. Uh, but show me anywhere in the New Testament where the congregation votes on anything. They don't. But anyways, that's a personal thing. And had nothing to do with the message. Just destroyed the end of it. Um, <laughs> God wants to renew his church. And if we are in growing, happy, healthy communities, 
Our churches should be growing happy, healthy churches. And the only way that's going to happen is when we, the people of God, surrender ourselves and say it doesn't matter how many new people come. Yes, it'll change who you are. But that's a good thing. I mean, wouldn't it be awesome to see this building filled two, three, four times on a Sunday? I mean, Pastor Aaron would preach himself to death to do that. I mean, when I was pastoring, I could care less how many services we had to have to get the people in. But we have to go and make disciples. It's not come and see. It's go and tell. Go and tell. Love your community. But we can only do that as a revived church. So let me ask you this question as we close. Who would be brave enough to say, Lindsay, I need to be revived. My walk with the Lord is not all that it should be. And not everybody here knows that because there's some things that only I know about. You see, that's the reality for many of us. That the sinful issues we deal with aren't necessarily overt actions anymore. They're quiet things in the recesses of our mind where we've still had a strong dislike towards someone. When the Bible says that anger is the same as murder, and yet we've accepted that. Or to accept lustful eyes or lying on our taxes. Now, I'm like the rest of you. I don't like paying taxes either. But we're to be honest on our taxes when we're crossing the border. What needs to be revived and renewed in your heart? In just a moment, the worship team is going to come. We're going to sing a song. Pastor Aaron's going to join me here at the front. And while we're worshiping again through song, we've been worshiping in the Word. We worship the Lord in all sorts of ways. If you would say, Lindsay, I... I need to renew my commitment to Christ. I'm going to ask you to be brave enough to step out and come and let me pray for you. Let Pastor Aaron pray for you. You might be here and say, I, I've never become one of God's people. I've never trusted him. I, I can't think of a moment in time where I said, Lord Jesus, forgive me for my sin and make me one of your very own. If you can't remember that, then you need to trust Jesus today. You can come and do that this morning. But why don't you trust him? Why don't you ask him to revive your heart for his honor and his glory? And so, Father, as we continue, I would ask that you simply do this in whatever would bring glory to yourself. And so help us, O oh God, as the worship team comes, as we, your people, stand to sing a song. May we not use that as the, the distraction to stop us from doing what you've invited us to do today. And so, God, I pray for each and every one of us here that we, your people, would be renewed. We would be revived because we have sought you today and your glory. So help us to this end, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. And so as we stand together to sing...